Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Dive Living Podcast. Here we are, yet again. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Die Living Podcast, brought to you as always by Softleet. This week we are coming to you live from the basement of Softleet HQ with no special guests. Just Bullshit. We're all special. We're all special. <laughs> we're all special in our own way. Exactly. I have an achievement award, I'll have you know. <laughs> Maybe two. Three uh, out of the four people here get to wear items of flair that declare they're special my mother didn't just tell me so the army did as well items of flair are you yeah. saying that i have no items of flair you do you just don't have one that says special on it my ancestors used to wear items of flair i know mine too <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> conveniently found out just weeks after your <laughs> i don't like with softly begin i don't like the <laughs> fact that like everyone accuses me of being a convenient jew like uh, the reality is that um if the neo-fascists decide to oppress our people aaron i will stand and fight from the rooftops i think Go you should on. have a, a fiddler <laughs> on the roof ringtone on your phone <laughs> Is this Papa? the little dog I carried? <laughs> Can you hear me? <laughs> anyway. I was very good at hide and go seek as a child. Mm. I should have known. I think uh, this week we're coming in hot on the heels of uh, some adventures from the Softlead HQ crew. Oh, my God. Chris I just came back from a free diving class. And Brian and I just came back from Vegas. Baby. So. Nice. Yep. Yeah. You know what that makes Vegas awesome? Lyme's disease. It <laughs> 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 makes, makes you all creaky in the morning. It's cool. It doesn't slow down your roll with the with the dice, though. Apparently, that doesn't stay in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Yep, well, that comes I, home with you. Where I'm trying to go with this, I think, is that I think the theme of this week's episode is going to be chasing adventure. Uh, chasing, or chasing excitement, maybe not really. Yeah. Maybe adventure. Adventure is a, a way to get excitement, but you know, how do we keep things interesting? How do we keep the blood, the blood flowing? Mm -hmm. Keep those joints well greased, even in the uh, the face of Lyme's disease from. Fair an, enough. An unknown tick bite, as Brian is dealing. That was with from right our now. last softly adventure. I like. We, we don't mountains. know. We don't we know that for sure. I'm blaming last softly adventure. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> <laughs> hey, what about? But, it could be the camping trip to Lake Jordan. It could be. But that's, that's what makes for a good adventure. Was that on Aaron's right? dime? Yeah, it was. It <laughs> could was. be just hanging out. Then either or. Could just be hanging out in the neighborhood with the kids. <laughs> ah, flack. We'll never know. It's, it's weird. Brian's not going to come to work for a month because he gets <laughs> all the workers comp. Right. Well, <clears throat> anyway, do we uh, have to file this under things like the the mandatory suggested genome research that you had me do with your friend's company? Like that wasn't genome that was research. not mandatory. <laughs> what do you mean mandatory suggested? Yeah, hey uh, Doug, you really need to do that thing that that guy keeps calling you about, where he sticks a needle in your oh, bones. Oh, hey Doug, I have this friend that wants <laughs> to give you this like free thirty five hundred dollar thing. I don't want to talk about you don't on this podcast take it? how Just he listen. I don't want to sign me up for those free thirty five hundred dollars. I don't want to talk. All right, Doug, on. you're out. Chris, <laughs> Sweet. you're in. Yeah, hey, yeah. it's all good. He he charged me after a year. <laughs> we've 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 since ironed it out. 
<laughs> but did you actually get it done? Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't. But unfortunately, he already charged you, no, and to, you haven't had it done. Re- yes. <laughs> to wow. to register for the process, I had to put a credit card on file, gotcha. and then they forgot that I had never had it done, so they charged me for a year of banking. But like, I sent an email, and like thirty seconds later, I got like a super embarrassed apology. I was like. Man, I didn't even know I gave you my credit card. <laughs> so the world is well, happier that there's no possibility of a clonal Doug right? around. Just so everyone out there is aware, we're talking talking about our friends over at Forever Labs that do stem cell banking. Uh, and the idea behind it is that your stem cells will age with you. And so we don't know what the possibilities of stem cell-based treatment might be in the future. But as long as you can get them out today and freeze them, you kind of like stop that aging process. Or alternately, in my case, like 380 days ago when I was still whole and okay, but now I'm fucked up and broken and the stem cells more I have aren't worth anything. And, and more broken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think they're seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of interesting treatment possibilities, especially within the military. Uh, stem cells uh, stuff is, is so more and more legit. You need to get off your ass I and follow know, up, or Chris is going to take, take all your of your, all your <laughs> things. All your things, things, things I'm not worried about. But Chris showing initiative. We're but it's oh, <laughs> man, burn! Wow. Wow. Knife cuts quick. Hey, well, man. Speaking of Chris not having initiative, how was that free diving? <laughs> yeah, that was great. I mean, he held right. his breath for a whole four minutes. Yep. Three exactly. Minutes. He's super good at inactivity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's the sport of inactivity. Um, uh, the sport of inactivity. <laughs> it's like, can I make my heart beat slower? Can I breathe less? I'm in. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, this last uh, this last weekend, I spent freediving out in Wilmington, learning the art of freediving. For those of you guys who don't know, don't church it up. It's a skill, not an art. It. Fair enough. Well, yeah. Japanese traditional archery is an art, Brian. <laughs> fair enough. And Chris is an artiste. Well, let's yes. continue on. I want to know <laughs> yes. what difference free diving has from costly diving. Costly dive, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly it. So free diving really is nothing. Like you're, there's no tanks, there's no supplemental oxygen. You're, you're literally taking a breath and you're, you're diving down to a depth. And the, the possibilities really lie within your own ability to tolerate. Um, increased buildup of carbon dioxide in your system and your comfortability with the increased pressure of Davy Jones locker. And there's an entire sport built around it. And it's really, I, I, before, like I had never had any experience. Well, I shouldn't say never. I mean, I did swim. I did, uh, some military exercises with the pool and breath holding, but it wasn't like any sort of, there was no sport turned into it, but this was, pretty eye-opening experience i mean their water is the great equalizer amongst all people so it was i thought samuel colt was the great equalizer (laughs) well yeah no but i mean so what's the what's the allure to free diving is it kind of like free climbing yeah so well like so if you if you equate like free diving to like free soloing for example like Mm -hmm. free soloing and rock climbing means that i'm climbing a rock with no supplemental protection or ropes it's just my shoes and my chalk bag i think that alex honnold video just came out yeah at the end of this month Oh, the end of this month. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah Alex Honnold is a huge. So he, it's funny. Alex Honnold and I are actually from the same hometown. No kidding. Um, yep. And so yeah, so free diving is pretty much that exact sport except under the water. So you're you're 
performing all your work on a single breath hold. So it's it's entirely up to your ability to train up to a level that you know allows you to tolerate depth and really being uncomfortable. Um, so <clears throat> yeah, it's it started for me. It started with pool work, right? So you had to basically step one, learn how to hold your breath, right? It's like everyone, everyone has and tries it as a kid, like in the pool and they're like 30 seconds, like 45 seconds. Like that basically equates to about a 10 second dive. If that's where you're at. Um, we were able on the course, like I was able to work up to, uh, three minutes and 15 seconds, uh, underwater, which I mean, in the realm of free diving is like not long at all. Like it's, it's very much a noob. Like how long do they typically hold their breath? Uh, for like when you get to the competitive level, you're over the five, six minute mark. Where is um, it in the world that the, they have like the, the people who live there have adapted to free diving? Um, it's so usually any, any like, uh, I don't want to say like aquatic basement, but usually islands. Are yeah, where, but I'm, there's one place where people have like bigger spleens or something like their spleen. Uh, I, I think it's their spleen is twice as big. Is like the average. We don't even know what a spleen is good for, right? No, apparently so it's, well, it's really good for free diving. It is. No, it is really good for free diving. And so what? Yeah. You know, so your spleen basically like acts as a blood reservoir, so it shunts blood like at depth and just you know allows for what minimal oxygen you have to be more readily distributed to the rest of your body. But um, I don't know. I the world record breath hold is a European uh, who held his breath I think for twenty four minutes. Um, is is currently the standing world record, and a lot of it is just it's practice, right? So it's like, you know, breath holding and breath work is one of those things where you, you know, you be careful in its application because it, I mean, it produces some pretty drastic physiological effects. Like yeah. when you get into the competitive level of freediving, you're literally increasing your lung capacity like nearly double like our instructor who is a competitive freediver she her lung size went from 4.6 liters at the start of her training to 9.2 at the end of her training and as a result of that when you consider like the physics of freediving like the deeper down you go the air in your lungs and all air within your body just compresses like mm -hmm. within to the you know to the point where you're you know 30 meters down and everything compresses down to about a quarter of the size that it was on the surface. So if you're starting, so she basically has normal human lungs at a hundred feet under the water. Um, so when you consider like a woman, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty insane because it's like, you know, you, and she doesn't like, she doesn't like do CrossFit or like weight train. Like she swims and she practices holding her breath. Think about how shitty her bone density is. When she oh. gets old, she's just I mean, crumble. it's 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 one of those things where it's like I think the long term physiological effects of like creating that kind of change in your body is, you know, we'll see. I mean, Wim Hof, Laird Hamilton are all still alive and doing their thing. You know, and they've been experimenting with it for years. Yeah, but Laird is like on the beach, like dragging freaking sleds and stuff too. Yeah, I mean, there's. It just all the for. I don't think Laird was much of a free diver. And, I know he was and Wim a big Hoff surfer. Climbs mountains naked, he, and he sits in the snow. There's, I mean, there's there's a level that you can take it to that is definitely beyond the realm of normalcy. That I think is a little bit hokey for what's, some people. So, what's the attraction for you? Is it like kind of the added, me, the added it, element of danger, or um, it's it's actually so it's actually the opposite. It? Like it's the so it's the it's the added element of like learning how to relax, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like you're you're put, you're forcing yourself into an uncomfortable situation. Like it's an uncomfortable thing to hold your breath for, you know, over two minutes. Like you start to, for most people after two minutes, 
you get really like you start to get that burning feeling in your lungs, like your diaphragm starts to spasm and contract. And you're literally counteracting that with your own ability to just, you know, kind of melt into it and just relax under pressure, basically. Um, and it's not, I mean, it's, it's not, I don't want to say it's not dangerous because it is dangerous, especially like never, who are those of you listening? Like if you want to try to go hold your breath in a pool, like don't try to do it by yourself because if you pass out, like that you're only going to do it once. Shallow water blackouts are the um, coolest. Never done that before. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but the allure for me was to see first off, like as a coach, you know, what kind of skill transferability is there between like free diving and other sports, right? I mean, I, I don't consider myself really ever to pursue like elite levels of free diving, but for me as an athlete or for me as a coach, you know, being able to take those same breath practices and give them as tools to athletes to help them relax like mid workout. Like how can, if I'm watching my heart rate on a heart rate monitor, like how fast can I drop my heart rate mid workout to the point where I feel recovered and can get back after it faster as opposed to just trying to, you know, bend over and lay on the ground. And yeah. So I, for me, like the allure of free diving and, and two, like I want to get better at spearfishing, like underwater hunting is pretty freaking rad. And, uh, you know, the longer you can hold your breath, you know, the better chances you have of actually shooting something that's worthwhile. Sure. So fish taco Tuesdays. Aaron is referring to the Bajau people of Southeast Asia. Yeah. And I think Indonesia. Yeah, they're, they're gypsies. So they wander around. They live in stilt houses. I All may right. have Googled this now. <laughs> I and, uh, like, yeah. I was looking yeah. up on my phone earlier. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're spleens. They've like evolved spleens that are twice as big as, as uh, nice. the average you know, population or human or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, so. and that's, I mean, do they, I don't really know much about them. Do they live in the, they, they live in stilt huts. They, they're literally viewed as gypsies. They travel around a lot, like based on they're like, like water hunting fish. gypsies. Yep. Yeah. So and I mean, apparently they universally have burst eardrums at a very young age. Almost all of them can't hear because they haven't learned to equalize pressure. So like so as they children, just, they just blow their, their eardrums, eardrums yeah. just blow out and that's it. And uh, they apparently smoke a lot because they say the smoking relaxes their lungs and gets them more. That is really like interesting, state. right? Yeah, that, that <laughs> seems to run pretty contrary, actually. But okay, I'll buy that. No, I smoking mean, is a is a vasodilator, right? Like we've yeah, talked you about also, this. You also coat your lungs in tar, which prevents you. from It made serving. a lot of sense when I was twenty three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> smoking smoking during distance runs actually helped me and Brian dramatically during the Q course. I'm not sure it helped, but I'm light another one up. It felt great. It felt better. It might not have made (laughs) you run faster, but there are those pictures from the early turn of the previous century tour de France, you know, with like the guys lighting each other's cigarettes while riding. Well, dude, it's like uh, albuterol in a lot of ways, right? Like, I mean, same general effects. I mean, minus the tar coating bullshit, which I don't believe is a real thing. Well, (laughs) what's what's next on the the line? So uh, what's next? So I, um, I, I've been practicing a a different, so using, using the principles of free diving training, um, I've kind of developed a a breath protocol that Mm -hmm. I'm going to try. I'm going to continue to try to push the, uh, so breath holding technical terms called static apnea. So apnea training. So I, uh, I'm going to shoot for, for four minutes. At right. the at the end of the month, um, I think I can get there. I um, yeah. I, I the the fascinating thing as a coach is that you know you're 
Like you don't need a gym to train your breath work. You don't need any equipment to train. Like you just need you and you need time and, you know, you create lasting, you know, real physiological change in a very short amount of time. I mean, I, before the course, the longest I'd ever, you know, done any sort of breath work, I'd, I'd held my breath for two minutes and that was a real struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, but in a matter of a day, like one day's worth of effort, you know, I went from two minutes to three minutes and, and 15 seconds. So, you know, whether that's like the beginner gains of breath holding, like, I don't know, but it's, it's interesting to me to see, you know, how like I can take this and have it transfer over into all my other activities, whether that's CrossFit, jujitsu, um, rock climbing, like the ability, the ability to relax yourself in the face of extreme stress. Right. And that's like when you're like, we tell you talked about like Alex Honnold earlier, you know, when he, when he talks about his interviews, like he's climbing, you know, the nose or half dome or something like that. Like he, he's relaxed. Like he doesn't like it where, where other people's like palms start to sweat when they like watch him just like, you know, go up thousands of feet with no rope. Like if he falls, he dies, you know, for him, it's like a calculated decision in a very like intimate conversation that he has with his body. That's just another day on the rock, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and he, I mean, it's not that he doesn't have a sense of danger. It's that, you know, the things that he's focusing on allow him to maintain a level of normalcy that allows him to perform at such a high level, you know? And, and that is something that like, you don't necessarily, you don't need to get up on rock to train that. Like I think free diving offers an opportunity to experience some of that, um, you know, in a, in a more contained, less, I don't want to say necessarily less technical, but you know, you're just, you're literally doing nothing in a pool. Like everything that goes on, goes on inside of you. You don't have to worry about like technical rock climbing skills to, sure. to replicate that environment. No, that makes sense. Well, and you said you noticed some, um, recovery benefits from it mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the, um, so the idea of like, w when you look at from a training perspective that stress creates change in the body um, and your ability to move from a stress state to a non-stress state puts yourself from a, um, like a sympathetic state to a parasympathetic recovery state. So, so my ability to, you know, move out of one and into another allows me the benefit of all the training that I went. So if I stay in a very high, you know, sympathetic state, meaning I'm breathing super hard, like I'm working super hard, whether that's in a gym or really anything like that, that's not where the benefit from training comes. The benefit from training comes after when you drop back down and the body has a chance to look back and be like, Oh, like I need to make some changes if I'm going to ever do that again. So, and that's where you see the impact of what it is you just did. So like when you do your breathe ups in the pool, it's not like you just go for three minutes and 15 seconds as like a record attempt. It's one minute, breathe up a minute, 30, breathe up two minutes, breathe up two minutes, 30 seconds, three minutes, and then, you know, so on and so forth from there. So it's a, it's a, like it's a ladder that, and, and it's something like I said, with, with breath work, you saw that adaptation happen just within each repetitive set. Like, like you, you, you push the point of discomfort, like on the two minute mark recovered, did your breathe up again. And when the two minute mark came around for the second time, it's like, Oh, that was the two minute mark. Like that didn't feel as bad as the first time that I did two minutes. Did you ever play with the stuff in the shower, like with the cold shower protocol? Um, so 
yes and no. Like I, I'm not saying that like exposure doesn't have its place. Like I think if you look at like whether cold or hot as just, you know, stresses that you add on the body, like our lives are very comfortably lived now between, you know, 68 and 72 degrees, regardless of where you live on the planet. Like we're in an air conditioned room right now. So like your body is adapting to a very specific temperature norm and by, by stressing it in certain ways with temperature, whether that be extreme cold or extreme hot, you know, you can produce some physiological effects. The only time I've ever used cold showers or any cold exposure is when I'm pairing it, you know, use it as a recovery mechanism to increase, you know, vasodilation where your you know muscles contract and expand. So it's like, I'm really cold. So I, you know, shriveled up and then I'm really hot and then I expand back out, promotes blood flow. There's uh there's some correlation between um, holding your breath for free diving and also like cold water exposure because your body's shunting blood away from yeah, your and extremities and trying to like focus on like core survival stuff. I know that's one of the like the Wim Hofisms from the cold shower protocol. I yeah. also find that like I can hold my breath like when I'm in doing cold shower stuff, like I can hold my breath much better just because mm-hmm. like I'm so focused on this fucking sucks. Well, even like <laughs> even cold though too, like you figure like, you know, cold air condenses more than hot air does. So, and that, that works just as true for your lungs, whether it is for the air around you. Like if it's cold, everything compresses in and aside from the depth that you're going down. Yeah. The only, the only downside with swimming in like cold water is it messes up with your equilibrium, like your ears and like your your ability to equalize was honestly was my limiting factor of getting to the depth that I was at just because you went down to what 40 feet uh, a little over 30 okay. um, and I popped a blood vessel at at 30 feet so when I came up it was like blood mucus coming out of my nose just because no. I was trying to clear everything I can out. clear pretty well and like after 20 feet it's like uh this is really uncomfortable yeah it gets I mean and that's the thing like you know and and so they, they teach you techniques and it's weird so when you when you dive at depth and you try to equalize because you're you're not it's not like you're like if you use the plane technique of you know yawning like as you're making your descent like into whatever airport like you can't use that technique. So what happens is is you're literally you're you're mastering control of muscles that you normally just kind of leave to whatever like so you're literally pulling up air from your lungs into your mouth and then pushing with the tongue against the roof of the mouth that forces air into the eustachian tubes and then out through the ear. So you basically have your, your middle and outer ear just kind of going like this back and forth, which is your equalization. So if you, for example, like if you don't, if you lack the ability to take a super deep breath, like you'll run out of air to equalize because you just, you can't physically pull it up anymore. So it's, it's a really interesting, like it gives you like free diving, at least in the limited amount of time that that we practice it gives me access to musculature that I would never think to ever train in the gym, right? Like no one, no one trains their diaphragm, like in the gym, no one like practices like their, you know, esophageal opening and closing and, you know, things like that. So it's, it forced, is that like, is that like the, uh, the kegels exercises? Eat for your for your mouth. <laughs> um, but anyway, is the same as esophageal, right? Yeah. So I don't know. It was it was an interesting experience, and I mean the the transferability I thought was pretty huge because I mean for for all the sports that that I try to stay active in, uh, you know, being able to control your breathing is is pretty critical. Yeah. So, so the exact opposite of that is the total like 
panic high that Brian and Aaron were on while rolling dice in <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> Man, <laughs> I fucking love playing craps. That's, I'm not going to deny it. Me too. Um, it's the only thing in the world I'm actually superstitious about because it's like you allow yourself to, to turn off your brain a little bit and start yeah, letting I've, your reptilian brain take I've over. I've never been a big gambler. I'm not I'm not a big poker player. Um, I never re- really loved blackjack. I think I, I kind of I get the allure to, of, to poker in terms of you're kind of like you're trying to like game the other guys at the table and you know it's this this bluffing game whatnot but it just moves so slow and yeah in retrospect my my draw to gambling should probably have been an indication that i had a larger problem (laughs) (laughs) when when i realized that i was playing pie gal poker for eight hours at a time because the drinks were free as long as you were at the table Legally obligated to ask you if you need to leave the table. Yeah, like no, no, man, like, just bring me another free drink. I, right. These mai tais are delicious. Yeah, <laughs> no, man. I mean, craps. I love the fact that it moves so quick, and there's no you don't see in the casino any other table or any other game like that erupt with cheers. Yeah, right. There's there's no blackjack table where the whole table's like fuck yeah. We guys are betting on other people's role too, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you kind of everyone's kind of playing the same game, you know. As opposed to blackjack or you know poker, it's like one guy's going to win, everyone else is going to lose. Blackjack, you know, I might hit blackjack. It's awesome for me. You might bust out and like, you know, kind of sucks for you. Good for yep. me. But yeah, and even, not, even if the dealer the busts thing. on even if the dealer busts on blackjack, like three players at the table could have busted already, so they're they're not sitting there. Whereas at, in craps, you're all playing the same game. You're all betting on the shooter, whoever the shooter is, and unless you're a total dick, unless you're a fucking <laughs> asshole and playing, there's a counter game you can play. You can uh, bet against the shooter. It's a really unpopular bet. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean why? Because it's like a bad juju. Well, it's the exact same. Yeah. It, it 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 pays out the exact same odds as betting on the shooter. So you're you're just doing it for contrary purposes, <laughs> and you're a dick. I, that, that's one thing. I, if someone walks up, it's called the don't pass line. You pay the pass line is the main game of craps. The don't pass is the opposite game. If someone walks up and throws money on the don't pass, I fucking pick my money up and walk away. It's like you're bad juju. <laughs> it's it's bad etiquette, man. I mean, it's it's like it's a fucking buzzkill move. So, but I mean, there's note, no note to self things Doug will do out of sight <laughs> in the future. <laughs> yeah. Don't well, pass. Doug. It'll keep me from gambling, right? Hey, Brian, uh, you, you're up fifteen hundred dollars. It's time to leave, and you're all like, "Nah, man, I'm feeling good." And I'm well, like, "I'm gonna put a hundred bucks on the don't pass the line." I mean, <laughs> dude, when you get a hot craps table. There is nothing fucking like it, man. Well, I mean, like, I, dude, the goofy like, grin on Aaron's man. face right now. Like, if only this was a live feed. Right. Like, I know I, from a very rational standpoint that the dice have no memory. You know, like, whatever roll comes out is going to be totally unrelated to the previous rolls. If the guy rolled six 12s in a row, there's just the same probability right. that seven's going to be a six. If that was true, the house would 12. never change the dice out. <laughs> if that was true, the house would never change the dice out. They what have a mind. They start to like your hand. Well, um, they don't change them out while you're shooting. So if you're on the same <laughs> roll, they don't change them. And that's part of the the house is like, ooh, yeah, there's a little bit of mystique to this. You get the same dice. But yeah, man, like it. 
dude, Aaron and I went on a run, man. Where it's just like, and you keep on, pre- we keep on pressing up our money. You know, if you, you, you kind of like, kind of like you're, you're trading uh, stocks or whatever. Once your position is paid off, then like the sky's the limit, right? Time to get aggressive. Time to get aggressive. And we were doing that. And there was a couple of moments where we had quite a few dollars on the table, just like, because it was, everything was just hitting, you know? And yep. it's like, you'd be like, Ooh, maybe I should pull it all off. And then like a six would come out and it's like, Oh, another like, pretty sure that's why they bucks. call it gambling. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. The trick is, is just knowing when to walk away. Yeah. We did a pretty good. So the job. gambler says, well, it's, it's also good when you're gambling to have time hacks, like tickets to a show or like dinner reservations or something like where you gotta like move. And that, that helped us in the first time we had a dinner reservation. We were all up and it's like, no man, like two more rolls. And it's like, no, we should go get this dinner reservation. Let's go eat some food. And so, so we, we can come away. back and win even more money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now I'm playing with the house's money. It's not even real. Right. I don't know. <laughs> it's nice. Uh, I, I never have the urge to just like, hey, man, I need to go to Vegas. Like, it's been too long. But when I get out there, like, step out of the casino it's floor. Like, oh, yeah. man, it's been see, way too long yeah, since I've been the, here. See the craft table? It's like, yeah. Uh, the last time I went to Vegas, I think I, I was 22 old years old. And I have not been back since. And I do not feel as though I'm missing anything. Do you know how to play craps? I don't. I have watched Brian play craps with my money before. <laughs> <laughs> of which we won a we glass did. of Louis Trey. Yeah, we did. It was delicious. Uh, I, I didn't even know Louis Trey was something I liked. Next time we're out in Vegas, we'll teach you how to play craps. I don't. I've I've brought a craps mat, you know, a, a felt and dice and chips to almost every deployment. It's it's not the same though, man. Like gambling it and like is a, the same, <laughs> dude. When you're in the middle, nah. when you're when you're in some, right. maybe maybe because like, the thing is, is like your brain, like even if it's doesn't, even if it's no money, like it's just fake money. I handed you chips, right? There becomes this competitive aspect. I will tell you that, like playing on a table with a bunch of Africans and like. ODA guys, people were just as into it and just as like high. Now, of course, you know, at the end of the day and people pay a lot more loose, right? Like sure. You're, you're not because it's I'm, not real money, but I'm uh, okay. I, but, but it's I'm never real money in Africa. Like a, it's never real money in Africa. Like rural Midwest Indian casino. Oh, you know, no, 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 like, no, 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 that's no, not no, the no, same. No. That's not like, the man, same. Like, but if you go, depressing. if you go to a yeah. casino in Dakar, like, or, you know, you Brent can talk about, I'm sure Brent's been to the same casinos I have, like, right. You show up and you're like, man, I'm going to change a hundred dollars. And like, you know, that's enough money in Africa. Right. And then you realize like quickly, that's, I just turned into 500. And now I am like bawling up in this casino where like, I have more money than 90% of the people on the table and none of them speak any English. So like your buddy who can count cards is like coaching you through how counting cards is like, so the deck is very light now. So like, he's like, and you're like uh, are we going to get kicked out of here? He's like, don't worry. Nobody understands what we're talking about. <laughs> and I'm like, right on. This is, this is a good time, man. Well, I've never actually played in a casino in, in Africa, but I have like created our own little casino games, mostly because guys want to learn how to play craps because it's a simple game, but it seems so forbidding because of the casino Dude, there's craps, a lot of stuff on the table. Th- the smallest house margin of any game in a casino is craps. And so for that reason, A, the best bet on the craps table is unmarked, the odds bet on the pass line. B, they make you stand around the tables because they don't want you playing all day. And C, like they intentionally camouflage the table with all of these sucker bets that look super enticing to get a, a novice to put their money down on that. It's like, well, but uh, I, I think it's, it's an intimidating game to walk up to if you don't know how to play, there's the, too many play options. the game. Well, there's it not m- slowing down, right? Right. You, you know, there's it not like really a, quickly, a lull. 
no one wants to be the guy that like walks up to the table of all these people having fun and be the dude that like totally fucks it up for everyone. Right. You've just explained why I never played craps. <laughs> However, I noticed in ve- there was three or four times where we were walking around during the middle of the day when it was slower that like a couple of the craps tables that had dealers out waiting for a game, mm-hmm. they were teaching people how to play. Yeah. You know, like there was a couple a group of girls. That's how I learned how to play, man. Yeah. I went down to the table on like a Tuesday, at, like 10 a.m. and sat there for two hours with a couple hundred bucks and it was just me at the table you know the the game it's a game of craps itself is ultra ultra simple yeah but um there are a lot of like odds payouts and you kind of need to know what those odds payouts are in order to make the proper bets and it gets really confusing because like for example one bet on the table pays seven to six odds which means the casino has to pay you out in multiples of six you know, like you have to bet in multiples of six. So you throw money on a thing because you saw other people throw money on a thing and they're like, give me two more dollars. Yep. And they're like, you're like, why are you, why do you need two more dollars for me? <laughs> I can't break to bring my money. $10 up to a $12 bet. Yep. Um, so it's just like, seems really confusing and weird. I get it. Yeah. But I also love it. But on <laughs> so the heels maybe, of that. maybe then one of these, maybe one of these softly lifestyle get togethers will involve Aaron and Brian teaching you how to play craps. What we should do is like a softly, softly casino night, softly, softly party casino night, like around here. And then yeah. like, but so I, when I was, I learned how to play craps because when college I worked for one of these party casino companies that would go to sorority houses and explains why Brian was so popular with the ladies. <coughs> I was never popular with the ladies, That's a lie. Um, <laughs> but it was, they, they had blackjack roulette and craps and it was real. Like you, you, you put on a cummerbund and a tuxedo shirt and you went to like a training thing where you learned how to shuffle the cards properly and deal the cards properly. Cause that was, that was what people wanted was the illusion of Vegas, you know, at some convention or whatever, but legally, obviously you're not allowed to play for money in Texas. So didn't, didn't we go to a casino night on like fourth street or something one night? We may have, I think we did, but you, you could pay, you could do it for raffle tickets, mm-hmm. you know? So they would, set some fixed amount. Like I think everybody got 10,000 gizzies, you know, whatever the funny mm-hmm. money and a raffle ticket was 10,000. So you could either decide to not play and just buy a raffle ticket or you could try to like turn it into more. And I'll tell you what, man, well, the, I, I started playing blackjack because that was the easiest thing to deal. And they paid like $10 an hour or something like that. But the craps dudes made like 50% more like $15 an hour because you had to be able to calculate the odds in your head really fast to pay out all the bets and that attracted me just because the extra money, but also the craps dealers were having a lot more fun. You know, it was like there was a group of them. It's like a team of three dealers as opposed to like the one dude sitting there, like taking people's money. Cause the thing about blackjack is, is even though you're just a dealer, you literally have rules you have to follow. You have to hit on a 16. You have to stand on a 17. You, you cannot deviate from your rules. You're not actually playing. You're not a, playing. a robot can do it. Exactly. But you are the adversary to yep. the people that are playing. So the tips were way worse at a blackjack table. Hilariously, like the amount of tips that I would get as a party casino dealer was inversely correlated to the average wealth of the people that were at there at the event. Like if you went to like a doctor's convention, no one would tip or they would like tip you in funny money like an asshole. You're like, hey, here you go, man. Here's like a thousand dollars in chips. You're like, dude, I, I, A, I can't win this raffle. B, like that, that's worth zero. But like, whereas I went to a painter's convention one time and there's a bunch of dudes that were like, you know, 
of dubious legal status in the United States. And the raffle stuff was like stuff they needed, like really nice, like uh, paint sprayer setups. Yeah. Yeah, And like ladders and all this shit. And one dude, uh, I was, I taught this guy how to play craps and he won like a ton of money. And I was like, Hey man, here's a, here's my system. Like here's how I'd play. And he was doing basically what me and Aaron would do. It's like you hit a number, you keep pressing up. It's how you turn like a small stack into a huge stack of money. Well, he went on this like terror of a run, um, ended up making, I don't, I don't know how much it was. It was enough to buy like 20 or 30 raffle tickets and he ended up winning like a couple of things. And he tipped me like $500 like cash. I was like, damn dude, that's pretty rad. But, um, yeah, man, that's nobody, how I got. Nobody understands the value of cash money like a blue-collar worker, man. Yeah, man. Like, if you made your money the hard way, you know what it's like to suck dick for nickels. Well, it's it's it, it was funny how true that was as, as far as those events was concerned. Like, you go to the lawyer convention, <laughs> you were not getting yeah. tipped. I'm a I firm believer law- that everyone should wait tables at some point in their I, life. I hope oh. lawyers are listening to this podcast so they'll hear me say <laughs> what insufferable cunts they are. They're fine people. <laughs> They're fine. People. They know their reputation. They always get their money. That's the thing, right? Like I'm an I'm I would have said I was an idiot for not going to law school until I realized that everyone thought that and there's this huge glut of useless lawyers in the market that are like unable to determine what they do except wait tables. You yeah. too could have your face on a billboard <laughs> on the Vegas strip for which, people that get into car accidents. Which by the way, I feel like those if if I was a ambulance chaser, I would make a killing. I think you'd be good at that. Yeah, I think I'd be I definitely good at that too. <laughs> I definitely agree with you, Aaron, that everybody should be forced to work a service job at some point in their yeah, lives. Yeah, man, for no tips. doubt. I mean, it is an eye-opening experience. Dude, it, nothing, nothing, nothing sucks more than doing your job well as a waiter and like, hey, man, I did my job like within the boundaries of what everybody asked me to do. Why did I not get a nice tip? And this other person just walked out of here with like $300 for the night. Yeah, the one downside of service jobs in my experience is that I found it to be a fairly stereotype reinforcing experience. No, I 100% agree. And I'm not going to expound on that. I'm not going to expound on it either. But I just, you know, but I, and I'm saying, I think that was a negative aspect of the job. No, I, I agree with that. Um, however, I do think that especially in a day and age where, you know, like interacting with service positions is, is an inevitable part of our lives. It's really important. Hey man, this shrimp every- salad's gone bad. Oh, don't don't mind me for eating these shrimp and then asking for my money back. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think the underlying thing that everybody always means when they're talking about like everyone should work in the service industry is understanding the idea that graciousness and being kind and polite gets you a lot farther in problem yes, solving it, than being an asshole. Exactly. And it's funny that like like we were talking about with the but with those painter guys, right? Like they were very polite. They were very kind. They were tipping. Like even if they didn't really have that much money to tip, it's like, thank you so much. And I appreciated that. Whereas like the attorneys were like, oh, you're the help. Like, yeah. fuck off. Hey man, would you get me another drink? Like I'm literally dealing this table right now. I'm not going <laughs> right. to get you another drink. Like, well, fuck you then. Dude. You What's your tip? It, right. like, what? it <laughs> sounds like an Indian casino anyway, like where we're like the people who are dealing to each other. Like they know the players from high school and like, you know, there's a misdeal, like the deck falls on the floor and she goes, oops. And she picks it up and like reshuffles it back <laughs> in. And you're like, no, 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 no. When we were in Vegas, we had the worst deal I've ever seen in my life at the craps table. Like she was this woman. I think she was drunk. Yeah, she was making a lot of mistakes. She was making an enormous amount of mistakes and getting yelled at by the pit boss. Like she underpaid me a couple times, <laughs> which thankfully one of the other dealers noticed. 
Um, and it was a lot. Like she underpaid me by like a, a, a like appreciable money. And then a couple other times she like stacked them up high and I was like, okay, yeah, I'll take that. But like it was obvious at the pit ball. And she made a couple of mistakes where she put the puck down, like she marked the wrong number and like so we got paid out double because like yeah. we got paid out for like what she had marked rather than the real game yeah. and the real game. Like it was super weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, so on to the next thing though. And I think we're trying to figure out this adventure race. I like right? that this all stems from the fact that we just talked about y'all's individual like what like like you guys just went and did these things that are like, hey, man, these are things I want to do. Like, you know, and then like we had a softly community event where we you mean these are things <laughs> we we didn't go to Vegas to play craps. We went to Vegas for a trade show. Quote. Yes. Just Aaron, so happened Aaron, that there Aaron were craps tables quote, there. I just wanted to play craps. No, we just wanted to <laughs> no, play craps said, once you're there in the casino. I love I'm, playing I'm craps. <laughs> I didn't say I just wanted to play craps. <laughs> Allow so. me to look through my phone references. <laughs> I just, we, sp- we spent less than a cumulative. I'm not judging. Hours I'm not judging tables. what you're doing. Uh, I think it's funny that we're. <laughs> Aaron's like maybe not two hours. I maybe bet it more. was. It was more than that in total. Maybe I'm but, not judging at all. I would I would say somewhere between two and four hours. Okay, I'm I'm merely Over two days pointing yeah. to the fact that like in a parallel universe at the same time we had like twelve softly athletes and and customers that got together and climbed mountains and like rode mountain bikes and we've now decided like all of these three things that we're talking about come together for us to do joint adventures Dude, those are, yeah those are two totally so i mean we went not. for a trade show the same thing all right i don't think anyone out there wants to go to a trade show with us that is a lie i bet you we could find 15 people that would want to go to a trade show with you aaron <laughs> because <laughs> they don't, if, because they don't yeah, play craps if, if they want to do the, if they want to do the snake up the freaking supply chain floor <laughs> talking to guys from myanmar for the record along with me the not, way you described it to me i nothing would make me happier than having my own like Chinese lackey telling me that I am a star. It's that was pretty rad, but <laughs> that is not. It. Look at the lights, Mister Aaron. <laughs> this is you. You are a star. Yeah. Yeah. That, that guy was a fantastic. That guy was awesome, but not indicative of the entire experience. <laughs> but what I do think we are trying to decide right now is this adventurist series. What is the race we're going to do? So I think to clarify the adventurous series is a series of A to Z races where people who may or may not know each other as a group certainly that they don't know each other as a group get together and there are certain parameters of the race. They have to go from A to Z an undisclosed Z. Uh, so you find out the, f- the finish line at the start at the start of yep. the race and um, and there are different series. So there's the monkey bike series, which is pit bikes, right? There is the rickshaw rally, which is motorized three wheeled rickshaws, which yeah, rickshaws. Some places they are called moto taxis. Yeah, they, I have a friend that did a mo- the moto taxi version in South America. How big a is decade how ago. big are the motors in the moto taxis? I'm guessing they're like 100 50, cc's, 50 to like, 100 yeah, cc's. I mean, it sounds super cool to be in a comfortable rickshaw for these things, but definitely like the recurring theme in the videos we've been watching is that no one has seen a motorized taxi or slash rickshaw in well, the locations. The whole idea is that you're doing something ridiculous, right? It's like not a Baja style thing. The, the idea behind all of these races is you're taking a woefully underpowered you know, woefully mechanically 
unprepared vehicle across a long distance in somewhat rough terrain and that's what makes it an adventure. So essentially, like so, yeah, their, long, their long rally is 10,000 miles in a car that's one liter engine or less. Yes. It's just, so essentially, this is mirroring my experience of moving from California to North Carolina in a rental U-Haul van with all my gym weights. Dude, in. you don't need to come. I think it sounds cool. I'm not mad about it. I'm just saying, like, I'm trying to clarify for people the ridiculousness of this expedition. Yeah, but yeah, that's Going what, through the Himalayas in a rickshaw is pretty ridiculous. Like, especially <laughs> when we were watching the video, and I'm thinking to myself, like, first of all, going up, I don't know, like... And they're like, uh, I'm not sure if this vehicle will make it. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure so that vehicle will make it. For anyone that's listening and wants to check this out, visit theadventuristsplural.com. And it looks like a bunch of drunken Brits <laughs> that have put together these races. I think the Mongol Rally looks the coolest. Starting in Prague, going 10,000 miles to an undisclosed location in Mongolia to be determined at the start of the race. However, I also understand that taking four to six weeks to do this race... <laughs> <laughs> through some questionably safe territories may not be the best way to start. We're just going to air podcasts that are like <laughs> the fucking technical difficulties symbol signal for a month. Like, <laughs> 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 um, I also realized that I'm being, uh, you know, fairly, fairly wild in my assumption. Like you guys are like, ah, like, I don't know if my wife's going to let me do this. And I'm like, Oh yeah, no, I can go. Lisa, no problem. Lisa won't um, care. Yeah. Lies. <laughs> Certainly haven't haven't talked to her about it yet. Hey, I'm gonna be gone for the next. Uh, <laughs> what did you just say? Yeah. See you later, guys. But, um, man, Aaron's not back. It's been it's been six weeks. I wonder if he's okay. Right? We're having a lot of travel problems out here. <laughs> well, but, it, it's like worth noting that this whole thing seems awesome. Also, like. It's unsupported. And last night while Aaron and I are looking at the website of like, hey, what are some potential alternatives that aren't four to six weeks in length? We clicked on the August adventurous race in India because I'm like, man, I always wanted to go to India. How cool would it be to see India like this? And the map, there's a live map showing where all the teams are. Yeah. And there's like a clear <laughs> there's like two teams. Yeah, there's that a clear are way the fuck off course. It's like a North India to South India race. It is very all clear. along the Western coast. Yeah. You, hey, man, I, we know where people are going, right? And there's maybe 20 teams of rickshaws or uh, this is, it's not the rickshaw. Right? Yeah, it is rickshaw. a rickshaw. Yeah. 20 teams of rickshaws that are like on this race. And there's two teams that are in like Northeast India. So Man. far away from everybody else. I'm like, I don't know where they're going. Are they still alive? Right? Like, Have they been hijacked? I think we're going to do Sri Lanka in the spring so that we can do the Himalayas in the fall or possibly the year after. Um, Because I was just at a... So like the Himalayas are in the 20,000 foot elevation area, right? And I was just recently in the micro mountains of the Rockies where we were at 14,000 feet and getting out of our Jeep and like, man, we're having a great time. Dude, the guy in the video was like taking a piss is taking the air out of walking, me. walking 50 feet to take a piss or like, you know, Ben Altinez is like, Hey man, go stand out on that Rocky prominence. I'm going to take a picture of you and it's going to be epic. I'm like, sure, man, this sounds awesome. And I'm like, boing, 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 like, <gasps> Holy shit, dude! That's like seventy-five feet. And we'll bring some oxygen. I think man. I'm gonna die. <laughs> you, don't bring, you don't bring oxygen for a fourteen thousand foot peak. <laughs> yeah, man. It and was twenty thousand. And it's funny because everybody's like, "Oh, fourteen thousand feet. That's not that bad." And you get up there, and everybody's like, 
it's a straw that I'm breathing through. And you're like, yeah, man, it's high. Especially when you come from like zero feet and then you're like, fuck it. First thing I'm going to do is climb a 14,000 foot peak. Well, we, you can't do the Himalayan race to start. You have to do either India or Sri Lanka for the rickshaw. I think we'll start with Sri Lanka. It's a little bit shorter of a race. Kind of tip our toes in the pool. See if we can get Aaron to get on video in a cool orange jumpsuit swearing allegiance to the Tamil Tigers. I'll, I'll wear a fucking orange jumpsuit. Sure. Dude. You know we're going to have uniforms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be part of it. We're definitely going to have to have uniforms. For sure. And Doug's going to wear the unicorn onesie the entire time. Ooh, I can see it. Man, once I start pooping in it, I just <laughs> get really foul. I mean, this is one of those things that how could you not do it? How could you not want to? I mean, someone else has done all the work of organizing it. All you have to do is when you say show like that, up. I have super simple answers for you. Like, yeah, but the cost, <laughs> the co- yeah, the, the cost say, entry d- delineates the, just how little support there is, right? It's like, oh yeah, for like eight hundred dollars or something. You no, can no, this race. all you have to do to enter the race is raise a thousand dollars for the charity of your choice. That's for the rally. Oh, what is it for the, for the rally? You have to raise money for the other ones. Just have it. There's an entry fee. Is there? Yeah. Okay. Um, but they provide the vehicle for you as part of the entry fee, which again tells ah, you the rickshaws. And yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah. tells you like, okay, it's a $1,200 <laughs> entry fee for a team of three rickshaw included. You're like, what are you guys actually providing? <laughs> um, well, a map and uh, that's about it. And a rickshaw and a rickshaw. <laughs> yeah. Have fun. I'll see you at the end. I, I think it'll be great. I think that uh, Jack Wine is going to be super disappointed that we decided to allocate our time towards this and not the Gambler 500. I mean, this sounds more fun to me, man. I agree. But I hope it's not the death of softly. We get back. It's like the CEO won't talk to the CEO anymore. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> this, this oh, C- man. They're both going. <laughs> this, this is, this is going to bring us all together. Yes. I would say, so who's who's all going on this? I don't know. <laughs> Whoever wants to go, man. <laughs> We, we I feel like that's a really on, that is a really bold promise, Aaron. Depends know, on the good graces of Amy Heskey. <laughs> right now, I know for sure that I'm in. David Dalanave's in. Doug's in. I'm in. I can't say no. I think Brian's in. Yeah, I am. Brent's gonna be in. Chris, here's here's hoping I, I'm, I'm in. Chris is in. I'm in. Here's hoping that I don't get divorced over this. Yeah, <laughs> Dude, it's, it's one week, right? Yeah, man. Come on. Once again, it's one week doing things that. That my wife wishes she it's was work. doing. It's work. Oh, and I'm with you. Work. Your work gonna, is. Your work is doing everything you want to do. My work is sitting through meetings. <laughs> and like, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sucks. You know what? I mean, if we do this, we're obviously going to be doing making a lot of content for it, right? Oh so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Until the batteries right. run dead. Again, we haven't <laughs> seen power. Hey, hey, no man. This all for we'll, content. We'll get that, get that hand, hand crane going. going. The solar panels and hand crane. One of those big solar. Solar briefcase chargers. Yes, yeah. no, those are those. I was going to say so. Treat. With yeah. such little support, then that means we have to all support ourselves. You also have to bear in mind that the vehicles that we're going to be taking can barely support our own weight, much less all the support. We're not we all going in one rickshaw. No, certainly not. Um, but two of bet, us. I bet you could hook up some kind of small alternator to one of these things that could charge batteries for cameras. Oh yeah, I'm sure. It's a generator at that point. Science oh, the we shit. Could, out we, of we could figure it out for sure. <laughs> But with the, the camera setup I'll be bringing will be nimble. Bare, bare bones. The, so, all right. My friend Tim from from high school, his father, who didn't work as an actuary but went to actuarial school, when he graduated, he went and got his pilot's license. His, his father, so Tim's grandfather, already had his pilot's license. And they just, this is in the, the 70s. 
they were like, you know what? We're going to fly to Patagonia. We're going to rent a plane in Chicago and we're going to fly to Patagonia. It's going to be like this epic father-son trip, right? How fucking cool is that? So they start flying to Patagonia. They have engine trouble in Brazil, crash land in some like farmer's field. And they're like, fuck it. Like hitchhike to the airport, fly home. Hey dude, uh, your plane has crashed in like field in Brazil. How can that, you look at that and you're like, dude, I want that story. Like I want to crash land in the field in Brazil. How expensive was like, the plane they crash landed? I don't know, man. It was like a twin engine, you know. So a million dollars. Yeah, that's that's a really cool story if you get the financial <laughs> back end of funding. Yeah. Oh, we just totally crash landed a million dollar plane. Oh, fuck it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that, that totally negates the possible epilogue. It was like children. Like, <laughs> the rest of his childhood, he was raised on peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> this reminds me of the videos that the Brian showed me. The plane like, was not theirs and it was insured. The Bugatti so, Enduro shit. Like, it's like, it's the, like look you get the full coverage at the fucking rental car place, right? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. The dangers of walkaway insurance. Yeah. Anyway. Does it cover crash landings in Brazil? Is that is that on the policy? It, apparently, the answer is yes. Well, I mean, I like that this story has a happy ending the way you tell it now. Anyway, my po- that sounded like kind of a, a dumb story. Probably. <laughs> no, it wasn't dumb. No, point, I, I get what you get. My you point is, like, it. you look at that stuff, or I look at that, and it's like, Obviously, I don't actually want to crash land in Brazil. I don't want to be in a plane that like all of a sudden doesn't stop. I saw doesn't a movie. You want to have I saw a movie adventure. about people crash landing in South America, and it didn't end in a happy manner. Right? They ate each other. Yeah. Well, you're talking to you're talking to a table of people that have put themselves into foolish positions and foolish places. Typically, unwittingly, though. Like, yeah. ah, yeah, we're gonna go to war, and it's gonna be cool, and I'm with a bunch of competent people. Also, not as competent as I initially thought, and it didn't go as I expected. Oh, yeah. They said they were going to provide food. (laughs) (laughs) They lied. I was promised by my drill sergeant three hots and a cot. I'm getting none of these things. I was promised I could listen from the hours of... (laughs) My point, though, is that we all crave that that adventure, right? Absolutely. You know, we we want that excitement, and... I think that this race series is going to give just enough of that to like make Put it you really through fun. The year. Oh yeah, it'll be a great, it'll be a great time, no doubt. It will be one degree less exciting than masturbating in my closet with a noose around my neck. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, not all not all of us go full David Carradine. I was say. <laughs> Right. Hopefully Kim doesn't find me like this. Doug's gonna go ugly. <laughs> yeah, Doug's gonna go ugly early. It's gonna be like 14 minutes into the race, he comes back in a loincloth <laughs> covered in mud. Right. Like <laughs> Doug, why? Why? I thought that we were doing our own version of Naked and Afraid. Lord of the Flies. <laughs> He's like, I'm afraid. Wasn't the, wasn't the costume theme Thai Lady Boys? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Te- team Brent Thai Lady Boys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> If you're going to be naked afraid, first step is getting naked, right? So I think this is fun. Uh, obviously, the cost of entry is not that high. And if we want this to be a a group thing, I think that we should pick the date and the race, and then we should promote. We should, yeah. So that no, we get other people from Softly like, involved. Like It'd be cool if the whole event was like Softly-related teams. Yep. I don't think the 2019 schedule for Sri Lanka is open yet. Perfect. published. Um, but as a as it becomes so because I, I like, think I like ethereal dates in the, the next, future. The next race is October in Sri Lanka and there's still registration dates. Oh, they still have slots. Registration, slot registration spots open. Yes. Um, no, we're busy in October. We're doing, um, we're prepping for the Baja 1000. That's what's happening in October. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's your little teaser bitches prepping for the Baja so, softly, but 
April of that 2019, is. assuming they do the same months, Sri Lanka. I'm super down with that. I'm, I'm, I'm so, still telling you. You heard it here first. If, if, if your interest is to win this race, you need to bring on the ringer, Tony Sirwardine. He's Sri Lankan, speaks the language. He's a Green Beret. He's the man. We're gonna. I'm going to be calling him after this and being like, Tony, fuck all these other dudes. Quick, <laughs> you're gonna join this. Join me for this race. Picturing like the Rocky Four montage training and like the. Oh yeah, for real. Like I'm gonna be like, hey man, pressing gotta, a rickshaw. We get it ready for this. Sri Lanka. Yeah, exactly. Side. Tony is. Doug's blindfolded at his living room table, like putting together a rickshaw motor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. About halfway well, through the race, like Aaron's like, fuck this. I'm tired. And like a helicopter. Right comes <laughs> in. Like, a gold helicopter. He's like, I'll meet you at the finish line, bitches. See you later, assholes. Yeah, the guy like comes out with a glass of champagne, hands it to Mr. Woman, I assume. <laughs> Correct. It's going to be it's gonna be super fucking rad when I utilize. Rotor wash tips over the rickshaw. Yeah, like, exactly. And that's the moment I'm going to use my, uh, my United supply chain get out of jail free card. Yeah. Like when it's I'm like, like oh, Aaron, in. your helicopter, <laughs> my helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> We're sorry. <laughs> the number that you called is no longer in service. <laughs> Aaron's satellite phone is turned off. <laughs> We're all dead. Well, on that note, let's get ready to let's get. We should buy a rickshaw here. And practice, practice with it. <laughs> no, it's probably so not I, a I bad just wanna, idea. Like, I, let's just, let's, let us back roll to the videos we just watched. And like, do you remember when Austin Powers, when they're like on the golf cart, and he's like, you know, buckle your seatbelts. We'll be reaching <laughs> speeds of three, right? <laughs> the the rickshaw videos. Like the only time that rickshaw looked like it was going over two miles an hour was on a downhill slope in the Himalayas when they realized the brakes didn't work. And you're like, well, there it is, your death <laughs> as you careen off a mountainside. Well, Aaron's a sort of cheater that would like bring some sort of like hopped up carburetor and like, hey man. We figured out we could like. I, I resent that accusation, Brian. <laughs> Aaron's the sort of cheater. Well, I, I mean, mean, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, right? He's the sort of guy that's going to take it the extra mile. So, like, hey, we're here for a party. He's like, yeah, I'm here to win, bitches. I said, hey, listen, Aaron's the, Aaron's the kind of hypocritical Green Beret who eschews the phrase, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, and prefers to endorse the phrase, improvise, adapt, and overcome. It There's doesn't rules. have inherent There's dishonesty. Rules. Not only am I not a Green Beret, I've never said any of those things. Those are the kind of, th- there are two kinds of Green Berets. So the guys that say, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, and there are guys that go, I hate people like that. Improvise, adapt, and overcome. Aren't those the same thing? It's the same thing, you dick. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're getting a rickshaw. We're going to start training. We are not. That defeats the whole purpose of showing up and not having any idea of what's happening. I I think we should know how to fix the thing. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that this is like the dizzy Izzy of races. You put your forehead on a baseball bat, you spin around (laughs) 20 times, and then you run. (laughs) Well, yeah. I, deaths. <laughs> I'm Yay. not in favor of bringing some kind of like souped up rickshaw accessory kit. When I see the rickshaw, except for maybe an alternator, yeah. to power camera. What is equipment. that shitty British three wheel vehicle? The Robin. The Robin. Yeah, and the, the one, Reliant Robin. The, the Reliant Robin went in on Top Gear when yeah, they're, they're like, always rolling it's it over. Always <laughs> rolling it over. The rickshaw is a Reliant Robin with no doors. Yeah. Think, no, think of a rickshaw as a backwards, like what is it the the KTM crossbow. It's not Those fair. fucking super cars, lame three the, wheel cars. The cars that, that we were always like, who buys that? And then yeah. you see one with like 
some guy's worldly possessions strapped to the roof. I'm just, my biggest hangout is I have been all over Africa in a Polaris Razor, which is a vehicle dedicated specifically to the task of operating an austere and rigorous environments. And those things break like a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And so, but surprisingly <laughs> less than you would expect. Like you're well, like, oh, look, this is a pretty, this is a pretty reliable vehicle. <laughs> it doesn't help that we are the ones driving them. Yeah, I mean, at, at breakneck I, paces. I feel like the rickshaw is like the AK forty-seven of motorci- motorized vehicles. Yeah, maybe like, so. It's just not going. It's just, the slop is there. The, the piston slopping, slapping around, and the yeah, man, like, why it's, matter? It's built to be widely that way, right? in use, but less lethal than the machete that is also carried by the soldier carrying the AK. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't waste bullets. My warlord says they cost money. I cut people with the machete. I met a dude in the Ugandan army that was like, yeah, we have like five rounds to shoot a year and you're issued them in the beginning of the year. And if you lose one, that's like your hand. I mean, like it's it's a huge, (laughs) it's a huge, uh, uh, big go to jail kind of thing for like losing a bullet because they're so rare. Wow. Yeah. What do they do if they get in a firefight? They don't. They don't. They don't. No, no. That doesn't, that doesn't exist. You have to understand yeah. that when Americans show up, they have to pretend that they don't like the guy at the other on the other side of the fight. But as as long as Americans aren't there, it's generally like a negotiated. Yeah. Ah, hey man, no. I'm going to be walking this way today, and I know that if I see you, I'm supposed to do something. So like, can we just like not <laughs> not pass walk each that other? Way. Yeah, if the Americans are watching and the Americans bought the bullets. That's a difference. I hate them. Their village is the worst. Also, I'm going to be having dinner with them next week, so let's not kill anybody. He is the man that buys the ivory I sell. Gotcha. Well, on that note. (laughs) It's time to get practicing with a rickshaw. Thanks for... Let's go go find a rickshaw. Let's go find a rickshaw. All right. Until next week. Ready, ready, break. (laughs) 